Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Uh, The last of the six, um, you have heard it said, but I tell you. Um, So in the Sermon on the Mount that we're working through this year, Jesus uh, does six, you have heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, and he goes on to talk about anger. So he does that with murder, adultery, divorce, um, the one we're doing tonight, which is oaths, and then revenge, where he talks about eye for an eye and love for enemies. So uh, two weeks ago, Oren did revenge. Last week, um, Ryan did love for enemies, and we just mixed up the order, and I got oaths, and um, I'm doing that tonight. The easy one. Oh, I, I, we sat together, the three of us, and we... <laughs> I said, thank you, Lord. No, I didn't. Um, the three of us sat down together to plan this, and I was like, which one do you guys want to do? And they picked um, what they picked, and I got oaths, um, which is fine. So this is the last one. And then actually, um, in the coming weeks, uh, I really want us to have a look. The very last line of what Ryan uh, looked at is, um, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, which I think is the crux of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And perhaps a better way of saying that to make us feel all a little bit better is be whole as your heavenly Father is whole. And so I want, before we just leap over that verse and get into the next ones, we might spend just some time looking at that. Okay. Oaths and vows. Oren, you can read it out for me. Again, you have heard it said to the people, hang on, let me start again. <laughs> You've heard it s- that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the oaths you may have made him. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is the footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Great. I think this, um, of all of the six, in some ways this is the hardest to connect to our culture. Like you don't really need too much. Like there's still murder and adultery and divorce and revenge and enemies in our culture. But we don't tend to as much have the concept of vows and and oaths in our culture except maybe you could say when you get married you say a vow or if you have to go to court and you have to swear on the bible like it's probably like the closest we get to the language of this and so as we, as I was looking at it I was like this has got to you know make a little bit of sense for our context so I'm going to try and translate a little bit what I think is possibly what Jesus is getting at when he's talking about this. And interestingly enough, I think in all of the other six or all the other five, he has an Old Testament quote. Like you have heard it said, and then there's an Old Testament reference, and then, but I say to you, except in this one, this isn't a direct Old Testament reference. This is more like a common saying that was common. Fulfill your vows to the Lord. There is no like direct Old, Old Testament Um, connection to that although there are places in the Old Testament that talks about vows and that's fine but it's just it seems to me that rather than Jesus reflecting back on some ancient law that the Jews were 
um, had taken further than what they needed to. Jesus is referring to some stuff that was going on in culture, some cultural things that were relevant for the time. Um, So hopefully after I've chatted for a bit, you'll have a better understanding of that. So oaths and vows. Let me just explain to you what they were in Jesus's time in order that we might be able to understand what he was going on about. So an oath is when a speaker of the oath called on his or her God to verify the truth of their statement. That was an oath. So for example, it would be, I swear by God that I didn't read your diary. Okay, that's like an example of an oath. I'm swearing by God that I didn't do something. I'm using God as the proof that what I'm saying is true. Um, Or perhaps, you know, it might be, I swear by the holy altar in Jerusalem that I didn't cheat on my tax return. Um, You're swearing by something that's holy and that's supposed to uh, make what you're saying be more truthful. So that's one type of oath. Or another type of oath was when you you would call God to hold you accountable for some promise um, that you would do as a future action. So it might be, may God give me chicken pox if I don't pay you back by next month. So you would kind of like call on God to do something bad to you if you didn't do what you said you were going to do. That was another version of 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 an oath that was common in the time of Jesus. So actually, we see Peter doing this very thing when he denies Jesus. If, we look, if you were to look at Matthew chapter 26, where Matthew's writing about when Peter denies Jesus three times, when Jesus has been arrested, you know, they, they say to Peter, don't you know, um, aren't you one of his followers? And he's like, I, I don't know the man. And then they say, hey, aren't you one of his followers? And he says, I swear to you, I don't know the man. And he calls down curses on him. That's what the, the language is. So what Peter was doing is basically saying, I swear to you, I don't know this God. And if I do know this God, may God deal with me by ever so severely if I'm not telling the he was calling down curses on himself that was a version of an oath in Jesus's time it was very common to kind of do that kind of thing so Peter did it in um in there and then we have vows so in the time of Jesus a vow was a conditional promise in which the speaker promised to give something to the God if the God would provide something the speaker wanted So it's like you're doing a kind of bargain with God. Like, God, if you give me this job, then I swear I'll go to church every week for a year. That would be like an example of a vow that you might make. Like, if you do this for me, God, then I will do that for you. Now, I don't know, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, how many people have either you know, actually or subconsciously, I always get done done that. I think it's quite common that we, in many ways in our relationship with God, make little bargains at different times with God. Or perhaps even if we don't make the bargain, sometimes it's an unspoken expectation that if I do this for God, then God surely should repay me by doing these things for me. Often we've If we dig hard enough, we'll find little things like that in our relationship with God. 
So that was what oaths and vows were in the time of Jesus. Very common in the marketplace, in the temple, in day-to-day conversation to use these forms of speech to call upon the God or, the, or God or the gods, to call down curses upon yourself if you didn't do something, to make bargains with the deities that were around in order that what you kind of were saying would have more weight of truth to it. And so, but, but what had happened, I think, in the culture of the day was that people were starting to use these forms of speech, oaths and vows, as a way of wriggling out of doing what they said they would do. So rather than it being like statements of truth and statements of honest speech, they became creative ways that you could use words to appease someone in the moment with the intention that in the future you weren't ever going to do what you were going to do. This was probably a lot of the way that the people had been using this. And we see a, a snapshot of this um, when, if we have a look at Matthew chapter 23, where Jesus, this is where he's doing his woes, his woes on the Pharisees. And he actually speaks to them about um, using vows, um, you know, in the wrong way. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, they're bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on the altar, they're bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, if anyone, therefore anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it, and anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and the one who sits on it. This is what I think was happening. Someone would make a dodgy deal with their brother-in-law. Oh, if you lend me three sheep in six months' time, I'll give you back six lambs. I swear to you by the altar of the holy temple of Jerusalem. And then, of course, it goes pear-shaped, and they can't actually deliver the six lambs in three months or whatever I said. And so they go to the Pharisees who are the, you know, negotiators of this type of thing and they say, oh, I made, I, I, I swore, you know, to my, to my brother-in-law that I was going to do this and, and I'm, I'm not going to be able to do it. And then the Pharisee would say, well, well, did you swear by the altar or did you swear by the gold on the altar? And they would be like, oh, yes, indeed. Good question. I swore by the altar. Well, well. If you swore by the altar, it's not binding. It's only if you swear by the gold on the altar. That's what's holy. So they would wriggle themselves out of contracts or things like that to dodge truth, to dodge integrity, to make things work. And the Pharisees effectively were endorsing this and letting the people wriggle their way around the truth. And Jesus hammers them and he says, woe to you. Like, come on. What do you think this is? That there are certain things you can swear by and certain things that you can't swear by. It's, there's a hierarchy of like goodness. And Jesus has a go at them. And in this passage that we read, that, that Oren read before, we get an indication of the hierarchy of swearing that was obviously present in the day to which Jesus is poking when he's talking to the people in this message. 
he says, he starts with, well, we'll go backwards. He says, um, do not swear by your head because you can't even make your hair black or white. So that was like the lowest form of swearing. I'd, I swear on my head. I don't know. Sounds weird. I swear on my head I'll do it, miss, I promise. Um, then you might swear on Jerusalem. That was higher than your head. Oh, I swear by the Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, don't even swear by Jerusalem. It's the city of the holy king. Oh, I swear by earth. That was higher than Jerusalem. It's like, I swear by earth. I'll do it. And then there was, I swear by heaven. As that was the highest. There was heaven, then earth, then Jerusalem, then your head. And there was this like hierarchy of like, kind of like legitimacy about what you were saying. And of course, it creates heaps of problems. Like if someone comes to you and is like, oh, I swear by my head, you're thinking, well, hang on, why are you only swearing by your head? Like, I'll, I'll one-up you and I'll swear by the earth. Like, it, it's just creating so much, so many problems when we have these kind of like conditional, like an honesty hierarchy, basically, is what Jesus is poking at in this passage. And look, you don't need a sermon from me telling you that this kind of thing is problematic and dysfunctional. That's just obvious. We know that talk is cheap. And really, Jesus' big punchline is just say yes or no. Forget all this extravagant extra promises. Just be a person of integrity be a person of your word, be a person of honesty, don't hedge your bets, don't hum and ha, and don't say yes and then figure out how you're going to get around yes. Just be a person that says yes or no. Be, have simple speech, I guess, is what Jesus is getting at. And then he goes on to say anything beyond this is from the evil one. If you start getting flowery with your talk, if you start hedging and playing fast and loose with the truth, it's all from the evil one. So don't do it. I love um, the translation of that verse um, in the message says, when you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. And David Bentley Hart translates that verse, it is from the roguish man that anything more extravagant than this comes, which I quite like. Not that I like roguish men, I just quite like that statement. I just think, oh, that's such a good statement. It's from the roguish men. It leaves out the women too. So no. It's from the roguish men that any kind of more extravagant um, speech comes. And I think this is like confronting some of this stuff as you're sitting there. I hope you're feeling a little bit like asking yourself about your own speech and the, the, your own ways that you use words to get around things dodge the truth or to, um, you know, click the maybe button on Facebook when all along it's going to be a no and then you don't ever remember to change a maybe to a no because that would be, I'm teasing Facebook, but there are ways we do lots of these sorts of things, using words to manipulate, using words to dodge. And the obvious and the really clear directive from Jesus is simply, yet your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a person of simple speech. Just be a person of integrity and honesty. In all that you say and all that you do and in the way you treat other people, be honest. 
Don't use words and promises to wriggle your way out of things. Be truthful and honest in all of your talking. That's basically the essence, I think, of what Jesus is saying in this thing. You have heard it said, you know, fulfill your oath to the Lord. But basically I'm saying don't even mess around with oaths. They're getting you in a lot of hot water. You're, you're having to tell lies and then wriggle out and tell more lies and get more things. And there's become this hierarchy of truth where certain things matter and certain words are less important. Certain words are, and it's like it's ridiculous. Just be simple in all that you say and be honest and truthful. Why? Because deception comes from the evil one. Twisting words and manipulating is how the mess all started in the first place. Did God really say? Twisty, twisty on the words. It's how the mess comes in. Satan in the Bible is most often translated as the deceitful one or the deceiver. It's his ball game to be deceptive. Therefore, it is not yours as followers of Jesus, to engage in any kind of deception. You are to be people of integrity and truth-speaking in all that you do. You are to not engage the ways of the wicked one. And ultimately, when we lie to one another and when we twist words and we manipulate and we, you know, do all of that kind of thing, it's really not treating one another as if we're all made in the image of God. We're not honoring one another when we do that we're actually dishonoring one another when instead of being truthful with our language and with our words and being honest and integrous we twist and we get creative it's not very honoring and I know like we all know what that feels like when we've had someone be creative with us with words instead of being frank and honest and it's not a nice thing so Jesus is really driving down this. And I think, look, I think there's probably like lots of reasons. Um, and I've been sitting with this passage of scripture for quite a long time because I think we met probably about six weeks ago. So I knew that I would be speaking on this. Um, so I've been really thinking for a long time about what, what Jesus was saying, perhaps what he was meaning. Like what's the underneath thrust of all of this? Why pick on oaths? I mean, you picked on murder, that's kind of bad. You picked on adultery, that's not so good at all, really, not even, that's very bad. Um, you picked on revenge, we know, like, do you know what I mean? You picked, like, there were some big ticket items in this list. And then he's kind of added oaths in there. Like, and it kind of, you know, initially it can kind of look like, oh, like, there's the big things. And then, like, what's, what's this one? So I've been sitting with the reasons of why Jesus gives it as much importance as the others. And this is the thought that I've decided to come to tonight and there's many thoughts so I'm not saying this is the interpretation this is just what I've come to as I've sat with this passage um, one of the reasons why I think Jesus pinned them down on this and why he made it a big deal is that one of the, the key ingredients for maturity and growth and transformation is honesty. We do not grow or change or mature unless we are able to be honest with ourselves and sometimes unless we allow the people around us to be honest with us in our blind spots. 
if we practice sort of like blindness to ourselves or dishonesty, we just stay stuck. So honesty is really key. Being able to be a truth teller is really key in growing spiritually. It's really key in growing emotionally. It's really key in growing intellectually. To come to the realisation that I don't know something or I'm not good at something or I, I am falling over in this area. We need to actually be honest with ourselves or allow other people to be honest with us. In the AA movement, in fact, in any recovery movement, the first step is always to, to admit that you've got a problem. You don't really move beyond that unless you're willing to admit you've got a problem. It's the same in life. We don't grow and change and be transformed unless we're willing to admit that there are areas in our life where we need to grow and change and be transformed. And it happens in deep kind of places, like unless we recognise and admit to ourselves that we have an anger problem, we're not going to do the transformation work or the change work that we need to do in order to move beyond our anger and let God, you know, interrupt our patterns of anger. Um, it happens in simple things too. One of our children, which will remain unnamed, loves to um, play music and sing songs. Now, we have said to this child, who shall remain unnamed, would you like to have some lessons so you can actually sound nice? <laughs> and um, no, they don't want to have, they just think that the way they are is lovely. And every now and then this child will sort of ask like, how do you get to be on The Voice? And I'll think to myself, lessons <laughs> but this child like so it's like even just that you know like it, I see it, it this so totally funny like wait like at some point if you want to be good at something if you want to go on the voice you don't just show up with your guitar and no lessons or you will get on it because you'll be that silly one that they all mock you like you have to admit to yourself that you've got some learning to do some growing to do some like you know so that you can do that. This is like just a part of life. And the other thing I think Jesus knew really clearly is that both truth-telling and lying become habitual in our lives. If we are lying, reg and I'm using lying because it's just the blanket weight rather than I'm not, I'm being a, not a truth-teller. Like Let's just call it lying. Even if it's like, dodging the truth let's just call it lying tonight it's just gonna make my sermon much easier when we're used to lying to ourselves and to other people it becomes habitual you start to lie you have to keep lying lies flow quickly if you're used to lying um, if that's what you do if that's what we do if we're used to that it becomes habitual but so does truth telling truth telling is a habit that once you put in practice becomes habitual in your life too and I think that Jesus knew that it's a problem when people, both as individuals and collectively, are telling themselves lies. It has problems for individual lives. It has problems for communities. It has problems for the world. And Jesus came that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free. He did not come to lie. He did not come to twist words. He was a man of simple speech. When he said, your sins are forgiven, 
that wasn't a wriggle room statement. That wasn't some sins are forgiven, only this one is, but you better watch yourself because you might undo the forgiveness of sins bit. There was just, he was a man, when he said your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. God is a God of integrity. He's a God of clear words. He's a God of truth. And what he says stands. And he calls us to be people who reflect him in that way as well. And so we put aside all of the lying and the manipulation of words and the dodging of truth. And we fall in line with with what God has for us and the truth that he has. And if you want to read a great, just read, um, oh, no, don't worry. Don't worry. Let's get that bit. There's a great, in John, I think it's, it's not John 6. It might be John 8. That's why I should. John 8 is an amazing, whatever chapter it is where Jesus is dodging with the Pharisees on truth, it's a brilliant passage if you want to dig into it. So this is what I want to come to tonight in the last little bit. What is the truth that will set you free? If Jesus wants us to be people of truth, truth tellers, truth believers, not messing around with manipulating words, what is the truth that will set you free? And this is what I really want to say to you tonight. This is the truth that will set you free. That you are utterly the beloved of God. Utterly. That God lavishes his grace and mercy on you. That is the truth. With no wriggle room. That God has cancelled the record of your sin and has proclaimed you righteous once and for all. Cancelled it. Cancelled all the sin of everyone who's ever done it. Cancelled and proclaimed righteousness. It is true that you are righteous tonight, tomorrow and forever. In Christ, the righteousness is yours. You are righteous. Whether you go away and sin tomorrow or you don't, you are righteous. You can't undo the righteousness of God. That is the truth of Scripture. What is true is that love is your origin. Love is your sustaining ground. And love is your destiny. Or perhaps you'd like me to say that God is your origin, God is your sustaining ground, and God is your destiny. That is the truth in your innermost being, at the very core of who you are. The truth is that you are in Christ, and Christ is in you, and you can forevermore rest in the love that is holding you. For all eternity. That is the truth. You want to know what the truth that will set you free is? That's the kind of truth that sets you free. Knowing in your innermost being that you are utterly the beloved of God and you cannot undo that. That is truth that will set you free. And that is what Jesus came to reveal. God with us. I think that only once you deeply understand this can any other truth about you bear fruit. 
What's the other truth? The other truth is you're a little bit broken, slightly messed up, and you could call yourself a sinner if you wanted to. That's also some truth. But I 100% believe that until you've got the first thing, you can't move to the second thing. Until you've got utterly embedded in your very innermost being that you are the beloved of God and nothing can change that, you cannot move on to speaking of yourself as a sinner because you'll just fall over. Jesus came to reveal how much he loved you, how much he holds you, and he came to do it all for you. And for far too long... Religion has imagined that if we can just get people to realise how crap they are and how bad they mess it up and how, you know, just unholy they are, if only we could get people to realise that they might be motivated to change. But that does not work. Guilt and shame are not motivations for change. In the short term, they'll make you feel bad enough to possibly adjust your behaviour slightly. But in the long run, only love transforms. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth that Jesus wants you to know. That in the long run, only love transforms your life. And the truth of love is that you are held by God in righteousness. Once you've got that, for sure. Go on and talk about your sin. But until you've got that, you just need to focus on your righteousness. Now, for those of you who've been around Central for a long time, you will know that we bang on about that a lot. Uh, That's intentional because too many of us have lived in the atmosphere of sin and have a gospel of sin management that permeates our whole being. So when we hear these things, sometimes I think we've got an echo, it kind of echoes in us that maybe this is true, but really we have a hard time believing it, and we certainly have a hard time allowing it to transform us. So I, we talk about this a lot, and because I often, and, and you know, the argument could be you talk about righteousness and love and grace a little bit too much, and you're all a bit too nice, and maybe you should talk about sin a bit more. Well, look, you can have that argument, but it's probably not going to change what, what I talk about. And, it, and, I, and I genuinely think we've got like a 500-kilo gorilla of sin that's sitting on the seesaw of Christianity, and we're not going to change it by throwing bananas at it. We need grace to become a 600-kilogram monster of awesomeness to unseat the message of sin and brokenness in our lives. So when you come here, you will get the 600-kilo gorilla, all right? Of awesomeness. (laughs) So, only if you're truly righteous can you acknowledge that you're a sinner. I firmly believe that. So if you aren't fully embedded in your righteousness, just stop talking about your sin and start to dive deep into the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and let that change you deep, deep, deep in your innermost being. And then then we can have a coffee about your sin if you want. But maybe we won't need to. We probably won't need to. There's a, an, an old rabbi... I love the old rabbis. He's actually probably a recent rabbi compared to some of the old ones. He was like in the last couple of hundred years. 
And he said this, um, I think I've got it up there. Everyone must have two pockets with a note in each pocket that he or she can reach into one or the other depending on the need. When feeling lowly and depressed, discouraged or disconsolate, one should reach into the right pocket and there find the words, the world was created for me and me alone. That's the belovedness. But when feeling high and mighty, one should reach into the left pocket and find the words, I am ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You need two pockets. Most of us need a pretty deep, very big right-hand pocket and a much smaller left-hand pocket. Every day, you need to be reaching into the right-hand pocket. The world was made for you and you alone. The ultimate love of God, the deep belovedness, the love that holds you, the love that is your ground and your destiny and your origin. You've got to swim in that pocket. And every now and then, you reach into the left-hand pocket and you let yourself realise, I'm ashes to ashes and dust to dust. I'm a bit frail. I'm a bit broken. And sometimes I mess it up. But then you dive with that back into your right-hand pocket and let the love of God wash over you and transform you. And I think in this passage, I mean, Jesus is talking about truth-telling. He's inviting us to be people of truth. He's inviting us not to play loose and fast with the truth because when we do that, we deceive ourselves. But what is the truth that ultimately God wants you to know? It's not how bad you are. It's about how flippin' great you are. It's about how beloved you are. It's about how much he pours and lavishes himself upon you with all of your quirks and mess and brokenness that he lavishes his love on ashes and dust. And that is what we are. That is truth. When we have a deep abiding knowledge of that, then we can, um, we can connect with our sinfulness and I suppose I, I feel like this is one of the things I can talk to you about with authority because this is something that I have hard won in my life. I, in previous years, would have probably operated with a decent amount of guilt and shame in my life about, well, anything really. Shame is ever pervasive. It's about who you are. And guilt is about the things that you've done. So I tell you, I, I, honestly, sometimes I could just be driving along and I'd come up to a traffic light and I'd have this memory of something I'd once done or something I'd once said, something that I'm ashamed about, something that was wrong. And the feelings, I would flood. that. You know that red face you get when you know, you, I would have that. And it might have been 15 years ago. And I would have those same feelings. And over time, I have fought hard for the righteousness of God, which is mine. I mean, I didn't have to fight hard. I had to fight hard for it in my mind. I didn't have to fight hard for it to be reality because Jesus did that for me. But I've had to fight hard for it to be my truth, that regardless of what I've done at any point in my life and what I will do, I am in here the beloved of God and nothing can shake that. Now, that doesn't mean I'm always good. I suck regularly. 
but it doesn't tend to touch the inside of me as much as it used to. So I've won this heart and I'm still going. I'm not perfect on this, but I know the difference between being a person who suffers from guilt to do with sin and feeling bad about themselves and not being sure about whether or not God loves me or he might love me now, but he didn't love me yesterday. And you know what? The only way I've won this is in the moment of being a total idiot I've trained my brain to still be in the righteousness of God. And I don't let guilt and shame come in. Now, I've done some dumb things as a mum with my kids. I've lost my mind at them. Freya will tell you I once, she says I dropped her on her head. That's, it's an exaggeration of the truth. It didn't happen like that. But she's repeated the story to her often enough. She laughs at it. There have been times when I've been ashamed of my mothering. It doesn't touch my belovedness. So it means I can look at it and go, all right, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like that. But it doesn't touch my belovedness. And the other day I was in the car and I was just driving along. And again, I came up to a set of traffic lights. And I had this awareness of just how unloving I have been in my heart towards some people in the last month. It was like the Holy Spirit was just like, and I was like, oh, you're right. And you know what I did? I was like, you know, I just need to dive deeper into the love of God because that is what's going to make me a more loving person. Not feeling bad about the fact that I'm not a loving person. That will do nothing to change my behavior. And so in the last couple of days, I've just been considering more about being the beloved, about treating every person who comes into my path as the beloved, first and foremost. Let me finish up. Time to finish up. I can speak truth to myself when I know that I am the beloved. That's when I can speak truth to myself. That's actually when the Holy Spirit is best at speaking truth to us. If you don't know that you're beloved, that's the truth the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. So rest in that. Once you've got that a little bit under your belt, let him start to, you know, work at the other stuff. I can speak truth to you and you can speak truth to me when I see you and speak to you as the beloved and you see me and speak to me as the beloved. That is how we speak truth to one another. You know that whole thing of like speaking truth in love and we sometimes use that to say truthful things that are kind of mean but we're doing it in love. Well, you know, if you are seeing people as the beloved the way you speak to them will shift. And people do this to me, and I'm so grateful for it. When, when I, we took on the church, one of the things that Alan Cheryl said to the leadership team um, when they sat with us is, they said to the leadership team, your ultimate um, role is to speak truth to Carolyn. It's a pretty big deal. Um, and they do. And just the other day in one of our meetings, Caitlin won't know this, but she spoke truth to me. Um, maybe you do know, I don't know. Um, anyway, it, it, I, was, I had this moment where she was just sharing something and I knew she was speaking truth to me. But she was doing it because I'm the beloved and she's the beloved and it was really good for my soul. And that's what we do to one another. When we love one another and we see each other as the beloved, we speak truth and it transforms us. And the last thing is, you know, speaking truth to power There are systems of deception in our world 
there are systems of manipulation, there are whole industries around helping people believe not the truth. Diet industry, anyone? Uh, you know, we could go on. Um, we, it's the culture we live in. But we can be truth-tellers even to systems that like to lie to us. But we can only do that when we know that even the people who perpetuate the systems are the beloved. But we still know that God is making all things new. And so we speak truth. So when Jesus is speaking to the people and he says, You have heard it said, fulfill your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, don't even make an oath. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. And he's driving down into us to be people who speak truth, who don't play with words, who don't deceive ourselves or one another. Why? Because he knows that the truth will set us free. And we are not to be people who play with the truth. And so tonight, may the truth set you free. And this is what I want to leave you with just as we finish. And maybe I'll just get you to close your eyes again and just have a moment with God. I just want you to ask yourself, and you can ask the Holy Spirit too. Ask yourself, ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, which pocket do I need to reach into tonight? Do I need to reach into the right-hand pocket of the world was made for me and me alone? Do I need to just stand in the direct loving gaze of God? Do I need to dive deep into the belovedness of who I am in Christ? Or do I need to, with little fingers, reach into the left-hand pocket and remember I'm ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm frail and I'm broken and I'm dependent upon every breath and I'm humble in the sight of God. Holy Spirit, keep taking us down the path of righteousness. Keep us swimming in the ocean of your love. Lord Jesus, we give you permission to undo all of the systemic thinking of guilt and shame that exists in our life, whether it's just come from our own thinking, whether it's come from leadership or the church or the world, the messages that keep us twisted up in lies set us free that we might be the beloved of God and be in this world the fragrance of Christ Amen Well bless you go and rest in your belovedness this week and if you want to or need to talk out some of this stuff more like if you hear like if when I talk like this you just think oh, I want to throw a million bible verses at you and see what you say have a coffee with me I can't promise anything um, but I think it's good for us to talk about this because I know I am deliberately pushing back on years and years of sin um, language in your life and in my life and I'm doing it deliberately and if you need to talk that through come and talk let's do it face to face um, because I think that's really important, okay? So I'm just giving that statement that you can come back at me and um, 
I don't know where it'll go, but feel free to do that. Yeah? All right. Bless you. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.